2: Hello, Hockey World. It's Monday, April 27th, 2020. I'm Michael Agello. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Eklund, and you're watching the Hockey Buzzcast on hockeybuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world. And uh, Russ Cohen has invited a friend in today. Russ? Introduce now we guy. have
3: Mike Rogers, uh, former three time, three consecutive years with 100 points, which not that many NHLers have done. Played for Hartford, played for the Rangers. He's in my 100 Range Greats book. How you doing, Mike?
1: I am doing great, Russ. Great to be with you guys.
3: Appreciate it. I wonder if you could retell the story um, when Hartford was courting you and how they um, got you to sign with them.
1: Well, it was it was uh, kind of an interesting process. Uh, you know, I started my career with the Edmonton Oilers, got traded to Hartford and uh, years with the New England Whalers. And then that summer when uh, – nhl expanded and the whalers were one of the teams picked it was it was a real trying summer for me because i think there was a lot of people out there that didn't feel i could play in the national hockey league hmm. um and the hartford whaler management you can include them in that process yeah. so you know i took a pay and cut i signed a two-way contract the first two-way contract of my career and i guess i approached camp with just a chip on my shoulder i had something to prove and you know, it was it was more or less my career was on, on the line. If I don't produce, wow. if I don't have a good training camp, if I don't start the season with the with the Hartford Whalers, my career might have been over. So I just dedicated myself that summer and wanted to prove everybody wrong and talk about things falling into place. It was just <laughs> a, a phenomenal way to start my NHL career. Only 105 points back-to-back <laughs> seasons, right? Like,
2: just like that, you know, what, that's incredible oh, to the Whalers.
1: Yeah, not in your wildest dreams. You you just kind of approach the the season. I always remember a teammate of mine, uh, Robbie Fatorik, and he says, you know, you can set goals, but you maybe only set goals that are attainable. And, you know, the first goal is to to go to a training camp, the second – goal is to meet the team and the third goal is always to win the the cup and you know that's a tough one to get so yeah. I didn't put any pressure on myself to saying you know what do I need to do how many goals do I need to score how many assists sure. how many points to, to be recognized as an NHL or I just kind of approached um, at the old cliche every game at a time but I did yeah. have something to prove every game every every shift that if I didn't produce there was somebody waiting to take my spot so uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think the drive was there more than it had ever been in my career and uh, as I said things worked out Mike,
2: I've never gotten a chance to ask anybody this question, but since Russ brought that up, it's kind of interesting. I've always wondered what it was like to be on a WHL
1: team and find out that you were merging with the NHL. Well, as as a kid, especially growing up in Canada, it's always about being an NHLer. You know, as a kid, you never never thought of being a -er. (laughs) WHA-er. You know, there was only one league in the world, and that was the NHL. So you're out playing street hockey, you're out on the ice all winter you're somebody. I'm Gordie Howe, I'm Dave Keon, or I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf, or whatever the case may be. And it was always about the NHL. And I think every parent wants their kid to be in the NHL, especially in Canada here. That's just the way it is. And I guess at about age 13, 14, um, you know, I just won a city scoring championship. And I was kind of on my way and started to get quartered a little bit with uh, yeah. the junior hockey teams in the area. And and that's when I realized that, you know, maybe there is that opportunity. And anybody that looks at it when you're a young kid, six, seven, eight, and your parents think you're going to make it to the NHL, well, <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit harder than just saying that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a certain time in your youth where you realize that maybe you do have a chance and maybe you have to dedicate yourself. So, You know, I never finished high school. I left high school to play junior hockey here in Calgary. And, uh, you know, it just uh, I I was fortunate that that things did work out because, you know, no schooling to fall back on if I didn't get an NHL career would have been very tough. But the NHL career didn't uh, didn't happen for me right off the bat. It was the World Hockey Association. They offered me a great contract, a chance to play with the Edmonton Oilers. Bill Hunter was phenomenal for me. And uh, yeah, five years in the WHA and then all of a sudden, wow. We're in the WHA, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and not only myself, but every player in the WHA. Really, I've been there for years. Yeah, yeah. just uh, yeah. it was kind of. Oh my God! This is completely different now. What do I have to do to be a better player? Yeah, must well, have
0: been incredible. Well, Mike, let me let me ask you because you know the circumstances with players that I, I you know I'm, I cover the Leafs and I'm aware of Leaf history and I know players like Dave Keon who you played with in Hartford and uh, Paul Henderson and Bernie Parent. They all left the Leafs. Uh, actually, your line mate, Blaine Stoughton, also did uh, in, in in the mid '70s because Ballard didn't want to pay competitive salaries. You were drafted by Vancouver in the fifth round in 74. You were also drafted by the Oilers. Did Vancouver make any kind of offer or is the offer was uh, so good from Edmonton you just had to take
1: it? Well, what had happened? And again, one of those interesting stories, the world hockey draft was before the NHL draft. Okay. And I was picked by the Edmonton Oilers and, you know, the word got out. Um, I don't know if it was through my agent or whatever the case may be, but that I had already signed a WHA contract. Ah, okay. So yeah. my agents didn't call me after the NHL draft. And I thought, okay, geez, fifth round, because you know, yeah. I just came off 142 points in junior. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I was projected, being a small guy, I was still projected to go in the top three rounds. All of a sudden, you go in the yeah. fifth round, right. you're going, oh, this isn't good. Right. But then I got a call from the general manager, Jake Milford in Vancouver, and he phoned me personally and he says, I don't know what's going on, but your agents won't talk to me. I went, what are you talking about? He says, and then he carried on a little bit more and said, well, I understand you've signed with uh, the World Hockey Association, but we're still interested in you. And I kind of just about fell off my chair and said, well, that is definitely not the case, Mr. Milford. Well, you know, I'm, I haven't signed any contract. I was waiting for the NHL. So I negotiated more or less Vancouver uh, through myself and not my agents, got offered a good contract. Um, I guess the, the deciding factor was, I was more or less guaranteed to start with the Edmonton Oilers money was pretty well the same. Uh, Vancouver was a two-way contract. And also Vancouver said, you're probably going to start the year in the minors. And in my head, I said, you know, I I believe that I've got the talent to maybe play at the highest level. So all of a sudden, they're telling me that I don't even before I've stepped on the ice. So I made my decision easier to, to go to the Edmonton Oilers, because to me, I still looked at it as a major professional league. It wasn't like right. I thought it was downgrading. And uh, yeah, as, as I enjoyed my time in, in Edmonton and then uh, with Hartford. So
3: Mike, then you went, and you're the points per game leader, actually, for Hartford at 1.31, which is really yeah. high. That's, that's better than Ron Francis and some other great players that played Incredible. for him. But, um, then you went to the Rangers, and Maybe you had the right coach at the right time, too, in Herb Brooks. You had the smaller players, the Smurfs. You were one of them, and you guys were high-flying, high-scoring.
1: It was fun. It was, it was completely different than any type of hockey I'd ever played. And it, it, all of a sudden, he brought this, yeah, this, this motion into the game. And I still love the way that he approached carrying the puck up ice. If you didn't have a play, why throw the puck in and give them the puck? Yep. turn around, come up as five-man units, and nobody ever thought about it back then. That you know, hockey is when you think of it, you're out there with six players, five skaters. Why not utilize all five players on the ice? And that's what Herb Brooks was all about. So mm-hmm. some of those players came from the U.S. Olympic team. We got smaller, we got faster, and uh, just we a had fun Pierre
3: Larouche game. on the other day
1: talking about that mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and, you know, I I firmly believe that first year, I I thought we had the team to win the uh, the Stanley Cup. Unfortunately, we ran into the Islanders and uh, a great series. We lost out to that. But I I think if we would have got by the Islanders, uh, I might have had a Stanley Cup. At least that's the way I look back at it.
0: Mike, um, I look at that, that first Hartford Whaler team, 7980, and I, you know, as a as a kid, I'm watching Sabres games on local cable, and I remember Hartford coming in to Buffalo in March, and I b- believe late in the year you get Bobby Hall uh from Winnipeg. And that 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 night it was the Hall Keon 40 Howe line. I'm like, you don't see that. You don't see that every day unless it's an All Star Games. And like, as, as a young, as a as a younger Canadian kid, what were your thoughts when you saw those three guys together?
1: Michael, unbelievable.
0: Uh, you know, I, I you
1: can't, yeah, fathom that these three yeah. Hall of Famers could be not only on the same team but on the same line. And as a kid growing up, I had two idols. Dave Keon and Gordie Howe. I had posters in my bedroom. I had scrapbooks on them. I had every card. I cut their pictures off cereal boxes. You know, it was just never ending for for me, for Dave Keon and Gordie Howe. And I'll still always remember that day that, you know, here I am in the dressing room and I look across and there's Gordie right across from me and, and Dave is just down from me. And I'm going, I don't care what happens. It cannot get any better than this. This is what it's all about. I don't care if I ever score a goal and assist. I'm in the dressing room. With two tremendous players, my idols, and and then you're right, Mike. All of a sudden, you got Bobby Hull join the team, and it's just a wow factor. And I think at that time, I'm what am I, 26, 25 years old? Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm not. not. I, I'm 10, 12 years old again. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sitting in my stall, and I'm scared to say a word. I'm just. I'm just keen on everything <laughs> they do, their their mannerisms, what right. they're saying, even how they're tying up their skates. And I probably was late to go out and warm up just because I was watching these three guys and 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 so excited about stepping on the ice with them. It was just uh, it's it's one of the truly amazing things.
2: I, am, I know how hockey players are like they're they're so polite, especially Canadian hockey players. They're so polite, and I can't imagine like I can't imagine like the room what it must have been like with all three of those guys. And I'm sure those three were talking to each other. And you guys must have all been pretty much in the same boat, right? Like everybody else was. Just, this is unbelievable.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think I closed my mouth for about five <laughs> minutes because you know, everybody's jaw is way down, and you just and, and seriously, and even the veterans, the, the, the Ricky yeah. Lees and, and and the Brad Sell was around that team at, at that time, mm-hmm. and just even seeing them, it was it, it changes a whole dynamic of a dressing room. Yeah. But what was amazing about those three individuals is they weren't. Mr. Hockey, they weren't Dave Keon, the best player to ever play for the Maple Leafs, Bobby Hall, one of the greats of all time, considered one yeah. of the top five players ever. They yeah, were teammates. they were buddies, and that's the way that they made you feel. So, Great. even though I was in awe and, 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 you know, nervous to be in that room and to be on the ice with them within 10, 15 minutes, you didn't care anymore because we all know Gordy was a jokester. Dave Keon was just a wonderful guy. Bobby was just, you can't find a better person. So yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, you just kind of sit back and go, okay, yeah, he's got the same jersey on as me. Sure, the names are a little bit different on the back of the jersey. right? But uh, no, they became friends instantly and uh, you know, you, you got kind of rid of that off factor. So think about that, just in a light rest of the question, but think about that.
2: Like in the span of, what was it, like two years? You go from the you know the New England Whalers of the of the WHA to the Hartford Whalers of the, of the NHL to to Bobby Hall, Gordy Howe, and Keon. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's it's truly amazing. And, you know, and, and to go from some of the worst rinks that we played in the World <laughs> Hockey Association, you know, we, and I remember yeah. the old rink in Chicago, you had to dress in shifts because the dressing room was so small. Yeah. All of a sudden now you're in the NHL, walking to the Montreal Forum, you're going oh to the New Leaf Gardens, you, you know, you're going to Boston, like just all these rinks that you've grown up seeing now you're stepping into him and you know even you know we talked about bobby and, and gordy and david well i remember the first time we went to the montreal forum and we go down below into the dressing room well there's jean belleville greeting us <laughs> shaking everybody's hand saying welcome to the nhl and i still say he was there to see gordy but you know i've I'm kind of telling everybody oh no he wanted to see me personally like he wanted to shake my hand but <laughs> yeah. man, talk about a wow factor meeting Jean belleville and i i yeah. just you know, I'm on cloud nine. I don't even think I touched the ground until I got in the dressing room. So it's just those things that happen, you know, once you get it to the NHL, it's, it's, I'll never forget. That's awesome.
3: Mike, um, I watched you play, but I don't remember you being a penalty killer, but I just looked it up and you had one year where you had four shorthanded goals and another year you had five. That's a lot of shorthanded
1: goals. What got you on the penalty kill? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. and, And you look at the way hockey's played today. You have to, you have to roll four lines. You have to have, designated penalty killers you have to guys in the power play everybody has a role well back then it was more or less three lines and you played your top players as much as you could and i and okay. you know fortunate the coaches i had and as we all know i was brutal defensively but killing <laughs> penalties allowed me to use my speed yeah and so you know i back then the, the penalty kill was the old box you stay in a box yeah. you don't move from that I said, heck with that. If there's a chance to get after a loose puck or break up a pass, you know, I'm going to take that chance. I might get scored against, but there's yeah. that opportunity. And, you know, and the goals started to come. And so, you know, I, I tell people probably in my heyday, I was playing 25 to 30 minutes a game, which is unheard of yeah, for a board in today's game. Yeah. But I did. Yeah. I killed penalties, played the power play, took a regular shift. So I, I so enjoy killing penalties because it, it's that risk factor that that if the yeah. opportunity is there you take it and uh yeah for some reason they kept me out there and you, to keep, you,
2: got, to, you got to make the de- defense nervous all the time because they see you buzzing around and they're you know that's that's a hard thing the defender has to pay in the back of his head
1: that's amazing i mean that's just that's just gotta be fun like a win-win situation for you oh it was great yeah and the more i time you ask any player the more ice time they get the better they feel so i yeah. never had that fatigue factor i just couldn't wait to step on the ice
0: Mike, uh, your linemate – and actually, he was your linemate in both Hartford – I don't know if he, he was he – pl- he played for the Rangers in the 83-84, but Blaine Stoughton was always somebody my, – my brother is an old-time Leaf fan, and he remember he remembered Blaine in the mid-'70s playing for the Leafs. And, again, he was another one of these guys that probably got gifed by uh, Harold Ballard and went to the WHA for a couple years. But his first four years in the NHL, two of them with you – um he scored 200 goals in four seasons (laughs) extremely underrated in terms of a sniper and the only the only bad thing is he had to wear those cooperalls for a year
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh and he let everybody know about that too (laughs) (laughs) you know the thing about blaine and 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 you're right my he 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 had that touch you know there's not many guys that, that that can do what he could do from the top of the circle in and he knew his limitations. He wasn't the greatest skater, but you know, for the two years that I played with him in Hartford, we had an understanding that it was my puck until we got it inside the offensive zone.
0: Right.
1: And then, boy, if I didn't give it to him when he was open, he let me know about it. But that's <laughs> the way that things work between us. And and I knew if <laughs> I gave it to him at the top of the circles, there was a great chance of him putting the puck in the net or creating a scoring chance. And what people don't give him enough credit for. And and he was skilled. And I still tell people that Blaine Stoughton tied for the the goal scoring lead in the league one year. Nobody knows who Blaine Stoughton is. And that's a real shame. But he was tough he would pay the price to go to the front of the net. And he scored a lot of goals from the 6, 10 feet out and, and just making sure that he found any loose puck. But right. I can tell a quick story about Blaine. It's yeah, yeah. after that first year when he – I think it was 56 goals he scored.
0: 56 tied with Simmer and Danny Gare. I'm
1: a stat nerd, so there you go. Yeah, Danny Gare, my old line mate uh, in junior. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was great to see that. But I remember Blaine Stout in the second year in their interview and they ask him, and he says, Well, have you set any goals? And he says, Yeah, I see. He says, I always set goals. Well, can you share them with us? Sure. What are they? He says, Well, he says, I want to play 80 games, I want to score 80 goals, no assists, be <laughs> minus 80, because I don't want to be known as a playmaker or as a defensive player. <laughs> and that's the way Blaine was. He that's just great. had one thing on his mind and put the puck in the net. And that's not a bad way to approach a game. No.
2: That's phenomenal. That's great. Oh my gosh. I have Russ, one
3: more for you, Mike. I'm in South Jersey here, so where I skate is Johnny Goudreau's father's rink, and you've got Johnny in your market, and you guys are similar in size, similar in point totals. I'm wondering what you think of
1: him, and have you guys met? I've never met him. No, I did the radio for 12 years uh, with the the Flames, but he came after I'd retired from that. So I've met – I shouldn't say I've met him, but just very briefly. Yeah. Talk about a tremendous talent, like what he can do. He can do things – that there's only a handful of players can do in the National Hockey League. And when that puck is on his stick, he's electrifying. And I always tell people, it's not how fast people are, it's how quick they are in today's game. Right. And Goudreau is one of the quickest. You look at him, he's a Patrick Kane. He's, he's just got that, that, that factor that, that players don't have. And he is much faster, much quicker when the puck is on his stick. He, he takes people out of their seats. Yeah. And what more can you ask? I still say hockey players are entertainers. The more you can entertain the fans, I think the, the better off you are, and Johnny Goodrell is one of those special players.
0: Mike, last one for me. Uh, as we already covered, you started your NHL career with, you know, Gordie Howe and uh, and Dave Keon and Bobby Hull. You end your career in Edmonton playing with some guy who wore 99. Did you walk up to him in the eight games that you played and said, you know, you got to work on your playmaking skills because you only had 163 <laughs> assists that year <laughs>
1: The first game I get there we beat LA I believe it was 8-1 or 8-2 and him and yari curry put on a show that game. And I'm every time they scored I'm up off my off the <laughs> <laughs> and finally the guys are grabbing me by the back of the sweater and saying, "Hey, sit down. You're going to see this every single game." <laughs> and I had to play against Wayne but you know until I was a teammate of his, you know, I knew how phenomenal he was, but he really didn't appreciate him because you're worried about your game more than right. you were worried about the opposition's game. But just being in that dressing room and the presence he had and, and Mark Messier and Paul Coffey, that list went on and on and on. And and even though I was maybe the oldest guy in the room at that time or one of the oldest guys, I still felt like a, a fan. Yeah, you know, Just seeing what they'd accomplished, the way they approached every game, the players that were in there. and And I still tell people, I sat beside Wayne in the dressing room. And what was interesting about him is that everybody would go and work on their sticks. We used the wooden sticks back then. So you're firing you're curving them. you got the torch. Well, Wayne would sit in the dressing room, put about three or four sets of gloves in front of him and put his hands in them, give them a squeeze, move them around a bit. And then he'd pick a left and a right from the group of gloves he had. And that would be his way of approaching the game. So it wasn't about what he he could hold a two by four in his hands. (laughs) But for him, it was about the feel. So he would try gloves instead of working on a stick.
2: Hmm. it's an awesome 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 story it was so nice meeting you mike thank you so much for coming on the show
1: god anytime guys always enjoy talking hockey and especially talking about my idols and uh yeah it's been uh been fantastic being with you ah uh, right, thanks you. mike thanks for
2: the Stay memories Stay Stay straight. Straight. Take take care,
1: okay Stay safe. take care now
2: it's mike rogers joining us today it was such as it was great i that mean was- i was doing a quick count right
3: there may be only like 12 guys that have had three consecutive 100 point seasons <laughs> in the history of the game, like if you look at this, it's a long list. So I couldn't right. do it because it was in big chunks. But it, it couldn't have been more than fifteen. There's no and way he did it in his first
0: two NHL seasons. Well, three, mean, like three. I know, but he had, right. yeah, right. I mean, three, three in a row. One with, yeah. but in Hartford, it was his first two years. But coming right out of the yeah. uh, the NHL uh, WHA merger, and I, I you know, I, I, one regret I, I had is not to ask him about because um, it was a very sort of Questionable situation when it came to the WHA teams and the players that they could retain from their WHA rosters yeah. to change over to the uh, to the NHL. I believe, like in Quebec, they got they got to keep Mark Tardif and Riel Cloutier, who was a who was a Chicago Blackhawk first round pick. But the one that's obvious is Gret- Gretzky never went through the draft. I know. Right? He went right. He went right to the Indianapolis Racers as an eighteen-year-old. He never went – And I was talking to an older, an agent a while back, and he says that was always like, especially when they found out how good this guy was, that like nobody had a chance to draft him. He just was gifted to the Edmonton Oilers, and that pissed him off a little bit. Yeah,
3: Perfect. yeah, I can see that because in a way that did happen that way. I, you know, I have a Hartford, not Hartford. I have a WHA DVD that I got. They do sell them. People could find the, um, guy's name is Mike. Sansome might be Mike Sansome sells them on, um, on Facebook because he was involved in the WHA. It's really great to watch it because me growing up in New York, I didn't get any WHA games. Uh, you didn't, see him anywhere
0: yeah no i mean i did. i mean my first my first exposure to the wha was the F the four teams uh joining the nhl i mean i know the people in toronto look at like like jeff merrick used to go to toronto toros games right he saw wha and uh but yeah it's i, I mean i wish there was more film of those days just to see some of those players
3: well, that's what i'm saying this dvd set has a lot of it like it, it's there's quite a bit on there so that's why I think it's worth it. Um, Eck, I did want to mention. I I got a another update from the KHL, and Hmm. there was one player on there um, that I thought was interesting. Adam Liska, uh, a Czech player. He was really good in the World Juniors. He's not like a high scoring guy, but he does a lot of other things well. He's got a a, you know some grittiness. He's decent skater and. Right now, he he's a Slovak, and and he got um he got signed for another year, but he's only 20 years old, and you have to wonder like a guy like that is probably on you know quite a few radar bit of radar for the NHL. But what I did also notice in the its release is that on um, May first they could sign UFAs, and because the NHL is in this holding pattern, yeah, and because there's going to be a flat cap, we're pretty sure of it. Yeah, you've got to believe there's players that, you know, if they don't feel like they're going to have a strong chance to get an NHL contract, they may jump so they can get a contract because, you know, as an example, like, it, you know, in the chat room, I said, hey, Tyler Pitlick, maybe the Flyers bring him back, maybe they don't, um, you know, it's either Grant or Pitlick, right? It's one or the other, especially with the signing they made of Sandine. So right. based on that, one of those guys may have trouble getting a contract. Those kinds of players, may have to go to the KHL because there's not going to be as many jobs in the NHL next year. Just, just not right. going
0: to be. And we don't know the status of the American Hockey League right now. Right. Because, and, and you talk about how the NHL could be affected financially regarding you know, everything that we're going through right now. I mean, I heard some talk about the American Hockey League. That is a gate-driven league. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know,
3: 98 percent.
0: Right. And not all the teams are owned by, you know, by by their NHL club. Some of them are independently run. And, and right. it's going to be impossible for those teams to be able to, to not lose, you know, a sizable chunk of money if, you know, they can't have fans or at least some fans in the stands. So that's that's another, you know, and that's that's something, you know, we we're talking about not only like the Holinka-Gretzky tournament getting canceled, the the Calder Cup playoffs getting canceled, everything getting canceled, but next year the CHL, the the American Hockey League, and the NCAA. I mean, in terms of development of the players that are eventually going to get to the NHL, this is a big thing because they may not play or or their schedules will be altered. And that's why if
3: there's some guys that are sort of – if teams are sort of on the fence with some guys, I could see – more over overagers getting drafted again simply because then at least you could throw them in the ahl when they're ready or right. at least you could bring them to camp because they're ready for camp and then you see what happens with the other leagues but they may do that that and more euros remember last year fifth round on we saw a ton of euros uh that's probably going to happen again
0: well the, i mean the question will be i mean the, the reality is right now that if the if the season continues and we you know i, I think we're getting more and more optimistic optimistic that it's going to there's going to be sizable taxi squads on these teams yep. simply simply because there is no AHL team to draw from so you're probably going to have you know you have a 23 man roster i will bet you anything that the rosters will be 30 or 33 or something like that because in case somebody gets infected or in case somebody gets hurt you're going to have to draw players from but w- what's going to happen next year if you've got all you know, your entire AHL roster that's not playing games there's probably going to be taxi squads there's yeah. probably going to be large taxi squads with these teams. And, and what do you do with players like – and I'll use the example of Nick Robertson, the, the Leafs' second-round pick from last year. He had a great year in the OHL. He scored, I think it was 55 goals. There was even talk about him you know, having a chance to make, make the NHL next year. Probably the best thing for him to, would be to go, go back to the OHL, get stronger, have another year of maturity. What happens if the OHL doesn't play games? Did right, the keep yeah. him and then allow him to practice with the team, and that is that as good as playing another year in the OHL and playing in the World Junior. At okay, that point, right. you know you're probably they're probably going to risk it and try it, right?
3: Because there's you know better than him not playing at all, right. and so there's definitely going to be some development issues. There's no question. Now I did see an article at, on CNBC that like there's an architectural firm right now that deals with social distancing. Um, as far as stadiums and designing them for that way, right? And yeah. so at first, your your first your first thought is, well, it's only going to be temporary. Yeah. But there's another COVID virus on the way. I already read about it. So what if it isn't temporary? What if it rolls into next year and maybe even the year on? Not to say we're all going to be at home all the time. We won't be. But as far as social distancing, that could be here for a long time. Like, we don't know yet. And yeah, that's why – it's going to affect every sport. Hockey is going to get affected at the gate because now maybe you know less than baseball because baseball has you know 35 to 40,000 seat stadiums. The NFL too, they're not going to be able to pack them in the way they were. But like as an example, remember we looked at TD Garden when they did their re their redo. People were complaining that they were very close to each other. Now they may either opt for selling every other seat or they may have to close down certain sections They may have to limit how many people are in a luxury box. I don't think it'll be standing room only anymore, or there'll be a limit for that. Like these things. And Mike even made a great point. You know, when you go into the bathroom, when you're, you know, when you're going to get something to eat, these are all good things that are probably going to have to change, change the model. Like we all saw like how all the restaurants in our neighborhoods are now doing takeout or touchless takeout. Yeah they may have to make similar changes to in the arenas.
2: It's going to have to happen. And, um, and I think, as I think we're going to be, you know, I think going out wearing masks is going to be a, is going to be a regular thing for a couple of years. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that's going away. And unfortunately it's, I mean, I I think that we're going to be going to games in the press box, or all this stuff with masks on, because it's just, I I
3: like my eyes. I think my eyes are my best feature. So I don't mind wearing a mask. Yeah. yeah. Betty Davis eyes.
2: I don't know. That's for somebody else to decide, not me. It's a booming business and making like a, a, like interesting masks. It's gonna yeah. It's gonna become part of your like social like uh your your. It's gonna become people well, style. There's gonna it's gonna become. We can make a hockey buzz mask for Patreon. Uh, about
0: that. I was gonna say, send me one, act because I really don't want to like. There's enough pop up ads on Facebook right now for like uh, professional sport masks. It's like, yeah. I really don't want to, I was going to send you the link for this, Russ. Do you want to pay $49.99 for a Mets mask? No. Yeah. No. That, yeah. But, but also the, 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 these entrepreneurs out there, they're like, now all of a sudden it went from $49.99 to selling masks, like three for 25 bucks. So they, I think they see, wait a second. I, maybe the masks aren't going to be needed and let's get rid of them now. Cause we've made all these. Yeah. Right. I mean, you got to admit, Bazooka Joe was ahead of his time. Anyhow.
2: They're going to be needed for a long time to come. And there's just different things like that are going to be a reality. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, who knows? There's that, there's an article. And someone brought it up in the chat. There's an article now that the, one of the vaccines is way ahead of schedule. That's great. You know, um, it's has to go through testing, even being ahead of schedule. Uh, I listened to an interview, December, you know, like it, the earliest would be December. They say so. Yeah. I, I listened to an interview for,
0: uh, with a doctor who had spent 30 years at the FDA and he basically said, 12 to 18 months in terms of the window for a vaccine is like best case scenario, like hitting four home runs in a game. It's like right. it's it's more than likely a couple of years. And the thing is, it could be like the flu vaccine where it really doesn't have the right effect on everybody. It's not going to eliminate right. it, it's going right. to mitigate its effects.
1: Right. right. So,
3: yeah, I mean, if, if we have to take them on this show, I'll let Mike go first. <laughs> I mean, I think that's only fair. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, the economic impact now could affect ticket prices. It could affect hockey related revenue as a result. Like, this whole thing's
0: going to change. It's, you know. That, that was that, when Russ and I were talking about this. If, if they say, for example, the Key Bank Center in Buffalo has to take out two thirds of the seats to have, um, one seat and then two spaces and then another seat like that way first of all that makes it you know that makes it virtually impossible for groups of people to go because they want to sit together so um, that, that's, that's one detriment or one deterrent right there. The other thing is, don't you think the NHL teams are probably going to increase their ticket prices because only 5,000 people are going to games instead of 17 or 18, more than likely for them to be able to survive financially instead of one ticket costing a hundred bucks. It's, it's going to be one ticket costing 300 bucks.
3: Yeah. I don't think it will be 5,000. I think you'd be able to, if it's a 17,000 seat stadium, I think you might be able to get like 10 to 12. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. still, I mean it does worry, it does make you think that, that prices could go up and you know by next year. I mean, this is something the NHL certainly doesn't want to talk about, but it's going to happen. Like it's we're gonna be talking about this stuff, Eck. I mean, and then it all does come down to again affecting the cap, affecting hockey related revenue. Yeah. All those things start to get affected because you know, unless they're able to sell more items, sell more on the gambling end, sell more. Advertising, you know,
2: maybe the TV deal helps subsidize some of that. Maybe, well, oh, I, yeah, I mean, TV deal will help, and, and the TV deal can get high. Can you can you can bid more for the TV deal when people can't go to games too? We realize that, right? So, yeah, if you're well, going to renegotiate, you know, the, you, I can see you know the TV deal is getting much higher, and that will definitely be a that'll yeah. be beneficial to the NHL eventually. Eventually, this will all be fine. You know, like eventually, people will go back to games, and maybe right. the TV deal will be higher and all this stuff. Um, it's just a matter of how long that is going to take. You know, that's the reality.
0: The the interesting that came, thing that came out this weekend, and it wasn't on the hockey page, but it, in contrast to what the plan is for the NHL, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of uh, ESPN came out and said that NBA teams are going to get together, the players are going to get together as soon as May 1. Now, that's dependent on... Yeah. Each individual, you know, venue where they were, you know, where the teams are based. I'm sure the New York Knicks aren't getting together on May the first, or if they are, pro- it's probably in Connecticut or Rhode Island or someplace like right. that. But the, the, that's, to, to my mind, is encouraging in terms of the fact that that's supposedly the most cautious league of them all, and they're getting together way earlier than I thought, and they're getting together way earlier than the NHL is getting. So that, I mean, I think if for people who are skeptics about this, about the NHL getting back together, I don't think the NBA would be starting to, you know, form practices and training camps and things of that nature in early May if there wasn't a chance that they were going to get their season together. The other thing was, and we talked about it on Friday with Kevin, was what venues, you know, four, eight, 12, whatever it is, in terms of where the NHL are going to play. And I, I, I can just say this I'm skeptical. I hope it happens. I'm skeptical about Toronto because I yeah, because okay, I'd like I can see the I can see the positives of a smaller a smaller place like Buffalo. But as somebody pointed out to me, um, Buffalo, they apparently part of the this uh, part of the the plan is if you have an NHL sized locker room in the building, then you are it, then that's a venue that you can play. And the Harbor Center does not. We we we've seen those locker rooms, Russ. When we interviewed players at the oh, yeah. junior, they're very they're very small. Yeah, and only one of the two locker rooms at Key Bank Center, the voluminous Saber locker room, is you know there's a lot of enough social distancing there. The road locker room is a sh- like a, a shoebox in comparison. So that might prevent them from you know having that as a potential venue. That's not the case in Toronto, but. In Toronto, you've got two buildings. One is the the Marley's building, the Coca Cola Coliseum. The other one's Scotiabank. The, the locker rooms in both in, in Coca Cola Coliseum are small. So, and you know, they have. I'm sure they have enough practice facilities. I'm sure they, there's plenty of hotel space. But if that's a prerequisite of these teams of these cities hosting these players to prevent players from getting sick then I don't think Toronto is uh, a likelihood. I don't think Buffalo is a likelihood. Right. I mean, that's it'll be interesting to see where they end
3: up. I still think that part is still up for debate. I I think they're they're all still talking about it with those groups that they have. You know, another thing that's going on on Twitter, we talked about it the other day, but we didn't get your input, and now it's kind of taken another turn. Um, The NWHL is going to get a Toronto team, and and that's something where – you know, the CWHL at the time said, oh, yeah, you know, it's never going to happen. And the yeah. PWHPA said that was never going to happen. But I told you I thought it would happen. Now, yeah. the interesting thing is if the PWHPA was going to hope for the NHL to sort of get in on the action with all of this going on, I don't think the NHL is getting in on women's hockey at all yeah. in the next two to three years because they have trouble with their own league now. I mean, it's not
2: their own league. It's also like, you know, we talked about the AHL. Like the AHL is is their – if they're going to go – if they're going to – put money into another league, it's going to be the AHL. They have right. to do that. And then even the ECHL plays into this too. Like they're, you know, that's another, they also are vaguely connected to NHL teams, you know, some of them work yeah. with so others um, and those leagues. And I, and it's nothing against the women's league. I just don't think that this is the time for them, obviously, to do the, for the NHL to get involved. And I, I it's a shame that the NHL didn't get involved a long time ago because right. they should have when times were good, you know, that's the kind yeah. of thing that makes you, that frustrates you because they could have for sure. Yeah. Um, there were times when they definitely could have and they, and they should have, there's no two ways well, about it.
0: Well, yeah. Russ, I, I thought it was particularly hilarious, and I cannot remember who who posted it on social media. But somebody said, well, you know, they're naming a new team in Toronto, the NWHL, but they didn't name a team name and they didn't name any of the players. So yeah. how, how realistic is this? I'm like, excuse me, do you think right now anybody gives a crap about what the name of the Toronto team is? Well,
3: if it's not realistic, then I guess the NHL team in Seattle is not realistic either because they haven't named anything either.
2: That still baffles me. I don't know what I don't don't know what Seattle's doing there. They have a perfect chance to do. Really I mean, they've
3: stuff. had all these months to give us something.
2: Give us one day to write about it. Give us a little, a little song and dance. We've got nothing. Out I, I gotta look up when the Vegas Knights named their team versus when they started playing. Like how far ahead it was. You know, I think it was like I think it was at
0: the winter. It was like around the Winter Classic. I think it was like in January.
2: Right. So, but that, so that would still be a little bit off, right? I mean, the, that's well, no, the, 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 well, I guess, cause I think we've, the thing is we've known Seattle, we've known that Seattle was coming in the league for longer than we knew Vegas was coming in the league for. So, right, so. But wasn't
0: wasn't there, wasn't there talk Russ about them naming it before this draft because it would be more. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I heard it was going to be named like a few weeks ago and
3: that hasn't happened. So yeah. I don't, I don't really know when it's going to happen. I could tell you this, though, and I'm probably going to find out more about this. Uh, tomorrow is actually the NWHL draft, and so they're going through a full five-round draft tomorrow. So, again, for those people that thought that that was you know, a league that was going to have a problem and go bye-bye, it's not. And if the PWHPA is saying they're going to have teams, like, when are they going to have a draft?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a really good point. They just don't, they just don't want to yield to the NWHL, they right?
3: Mean, that's what it is. So they're just going to try and keep this thing going a little bit. But again, this is at six forty five tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday. It looks like they're going to have a draft. So okay. So that's interesting. I, I'm I'm probably going to tune in. I'm going to try and um, find out more. Maybe we can get a guest or two on the show. That'd be um, great. I'll see, but I I, I do think that. It's it's great for them to still be going through this right now yeah. to show everybody, hey, you know what? This is the league. If you want to watch women's hockey, if you want to get involved, watch our draft, watch our players. I think right yeah. now it's a great message in a time where people are dying for sports.
2: Yeah, you know, and I, I was so a little bit more about the draft, and you know, there is a definite battle. There's no two ways about it, um, going on between the owners and the NHL on one side wanting this thing to happen earlier and the um, GMs and scouts and, and people like that wanting to do things the way they're always done and having it after the season, which, and, you know, and obviously, you know, everybody sees everybody's point on this. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I get that. I really do get the sense still that this is happening in June um, from talking to people, you know, and I, I think that there's, you know, I know we had Kevin on here and Kevin's not convinced that it's happening in June and I'm, I'm not convinced it's happening in June, but I'm just telling, I'm I'm thinking that at the end of the day, in my experience, covering this league, the owners win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but let's and so the gms are like you know this is not how we normally do things but you have no no one, has, no one has much sympathy for anybody who says that right now you know like normally how we normally do things it doesn't count to anybody right now so
0: i i let's just say this i will yield to kevin's opinion on what we were talking about on friday the fact that I mean, great. We know that the NFL draft drove, uh, you know, drove traffic to ESPN for three for three days, and we know they got great, great ratings. Mm-hmm. NHL and the NFL are two different animals, and, and you're not going to get ratings. You know, MS or uh, NBCSN will get ratings, and I'm sure TSN and Sportsnet will definitely in Canada, but it's not going to have the, uh, the kind of impact of just the of these teams and the, the league being on the radar to the point that it's really beneficial
2: so i mean oh, but let, me, I, I, let me argue against that for a second and i mean I, listen I, I have my opinions on it and then you know kevin and i we, we talked about this last night we had our family feud where my family beat his family by the way last night just <laughs> I mean, in the family feud last night on uh <laughs> the allens and the egg last night was steve harvey steve harvey busy yeah no one of his one of his kids played steve harvey beautifully he did a great oh, job that's Great. um but um you know we talked about it even further and the, the reality is you know like we're do- you know, whoever you talk to is the person whose opinion you're bringing to the table for the most part, because, you know, we don't know, like, neither he nor I has any say in this thing. Um, yeah. We're just talking to who we're talking to, right? And, so, and and you know, and I made the argument with him on the phone, you know, and I do just kind of feel this too, that, you know, you can sit there and say, yeah, of course, it's not the NFL draft. The, the, the NHL doesn't have that fan base at all. That's not the kind of thing we have here. So, but the what the NHL does have and why the NHL has grown more than it's ever grown before, um, and this is this has happened since like ninety since since like two thousand and four, since around then, you know, since the lockout. Um, the NHL finally has put together a group of kind of casual fans, which is something that the NHL didn't have forever. Like that was always the thing about the NHL. You know, like the NFL has a group of fans, hardcore fans, like every league does, but the NFL also has a huge group of casual fans. And that mm-hmm. those casual fans, like I'm like a casual NHL NFL fan. Like I'll watch the NFL. You yeah. know, but I'm not a hardcore like you guys are necessarily, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely love the sport. I don't want to follow every in and out of it, but I love to watch the games, that kind of thing. So that's mm-hmm. the deal. Um, the NHL has lived its entire existence on hardcore fans without casual fans. And um,
3: I think that's anyway. true. Except for the Rangers, the Rangers have plugged into a gajillion
2: casual fans yeah. for tickets more than most yeah. probably because of the ticket prices. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think that, and the Rangers also done a good job at, you know, and, the, and the, all these originals, the original six teams, I would guess, I think all around have more casual fans than anybody else. They do. I think you're right about that. Because everyone's grown up with them existing in their world. Like they, they you know, everybody said, you know, everybody who's here like remembers them when they were a kid or whatever. Or their parents liked them or somebody liked them. So, yeah, that's the case. But I think, you know, where this, where I feel the NHL draft in June is most important is, first of all, you do have to, it you do have to do something for your hardcore base. You do have to do something yeah. for it. I think that's very vitally important that you do need to do that. Um, like you know, in hockey buzz, we keep working really hard because we do need to keep the hardcore base. You know, even if we're not making any money or losing money, we're going to keep doing things to the hardcore base. Um, now, the NHL has the ability to also have like a bigger casual base, which they've had, in, which they've had. Like I said, I think since like two thousand and four, two thousand and five, the NHL casual base is much higher than it's ever been, and this is another chance to grow that by putting a draft out right now. Um, this is another chance to get like a little bit more of like, you know, show some really great highlights in the middle of the draft and you know, do a real fun thing and have it really, you know, have people see hockey for what it is. Um, it feels like it's more important than ever for me, in my opinion, to do it now mm-hmm. in June than it has been in the past because just the whole, I, the whole concept of, okay, you know, we're going to try to squeeze it in between the two seasons that we're going to have, which is going to be very little time at all. Um, just so we can keep the trades like we normally did and all that stuff. It feels kind of a, uh, it feels self-serving, but it's it's really just wasting the concept of of, of this opportunity you have. Like you have a, you have a golden opportunity here. So, Mike, do you agree with that or disagree with that? I mean, it's an opportunity, but I
0: just don't know how impactful of an opportunity it is. I'm I, I agree with you that they they need that the league needs to maintain maintain some sort of footprint but i just don't know how much of a footprint i mean yes for us yes for the lifers the the super fans or the people who cover the sport you know it gives us it'll give us something to write about it'll give us something to talk about uh trades and things of that nature but i think for 90% of the of the fan base that's only that only comes from games it only comes from games on the ice that will be that will be the big focus once this once they get teams and and players on the ice playing games, It doesn't, it's not going to matter much if it's going to be in front of no fans. Fans will watch on TV, and they'll, they'll be into it. But I don't know whether they'll be into a draft where Gary Bettman is sitting in his, uh, in his basement like Roger Goodell and having piped in booing
2: like Roger Goodell did. That was silly. I was I mean, stupid. What does it really? What does it really matter where these guys are? I mean, to us, you know, to you guys, you know, I used to attend. I attended three. I, I, no,
0: I think it was just
2: a reaction. The draft the the yeah, are the great to be at, but that whole that whole dynamic doesn't really translate well to television. To be honest, it doesn't. I mean, it's just like you know, t- the dra- dra- watching the NHL draft on TV is really not all that much fun. Um, as far as like where as far as the environment goes. I mean the, the concept of who's getting picked and stuff like that and and, and speculating or watching the highlights of players when they are juniors that are getting drafted, that kind of stuff is great. But like the actual the actual arena atmosphere doesn't really have anything to do with the NHL draft. I don't I don't think or any draft for that matter, but maybe some in the NFL, but not the NHL.
0: Now, the interesting thing that came up this morning that I think we should talk about is this report. Um, well it was Kurt Overhart, the agent. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Overhart, who made a suggestion. And gee, yeah. where where have we heard this? <laughs> We've I, I think I've mentioned this maybe yeah. a few times in the history of the of the of the Buzzcast, and you can go into the audio buzzcast. Oh yeah, going way back. Uh, yeah. Uh Kurt Overhart says and he's advocating for the creation of an exceptional player to ease salary cap concerns when
2: uh, so they don't use the term franchise player. Is that the deal?
0: No, it's a Larry Bird exemption. It's a <laughs> <Bird exemption. laughs> right, right, right. goddamn thing,
3: and it's, it's like okay. okay, it's actually a little different than that. I have done a little digging, and I'm actually going to be talking to Kurt later. Good, and we'll have an article on Sportsology, so tomorrow we'll be able to talk at it more in length. But I think it's actually a little different than that.
0: Okay, I mean, now the, this taking okay. face value, taking the face value of what if what if what, uh, if what uh, Elliot Freeman reported about. Um, it says teams using it could have, could have to pay a luxury tax to those who don't. So that, that means if the, the Maple Leafs use this exceptional player status on Austin Matthews and that swipes clean $11.634 million off their cap, then they probably will have to pay a percentage of that to teams uh, that, that don't use exceptional status. So that means you're basically creating what the what Major League Baseball has yeah. in terms of a luxury tax that the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers pay into that the Kansas City Royals and Pittsburgh Pirates and other teams benefit from.
3: Yeah, now, similar to that, not exactly, but similar to
0: that. If it's if it, if this is a temporary solution, now this we we were talking about compliance buyouts in terms of adjust, adjusting things. If they implement something like this, this is the exception that benefits the teams that don't have players they want to buy out. A team like Toronto doesn't want to buy out Alex Kerfoot because he's 25 years old and he's a good young player. Right. But you know, it's either use it or lose it. If you buy you know, buy him out to clear three and a half million dollars in cap space. How much does that really benefit you? If you can, if you can put uh, um, Austin Matthews' 11 million dollar, 11 plus million dollar salary off the books and yeah. pay a set pay three million bucks or s- say something like that. Yeah. I'll sign up in a minute if I'm Kyle Dubas. Well there's a there's a few things that I, I take out of this
2: and
3: I'll find out more later. Um the first one is this is more of a job creator than actually a, a compliance buyout because not everybody from a compliance buyout gets another job. Right. So that's one thing. This thing this would guarantee another job for a bunch of players which is a positive. The other the other thing is, this is also about not being temporary, Mike, but being a CBA evolving thing because the CBA h- hasn't really evolved that much. Right. And for all those people, and I've been on some shows where they're like, well, hey, let's reopen the CBA. It's not that easy. No. And I don't think just because teams have time right now that they really want to open the CBA right now, but they could do an addendum. You, you do addendums to it all the time and- no, I- uh, So if they were to vote on this, it would be like an addendum to sort
2: of get it to evolve a little. And I, and I, I mean, you're gonna have it, the, the reality is in, in in situations like this, you've got to be creative. You got to think outside the box. You got to do things that are different. You just have to. There's no re, there's no option. I mean, it would be great if we lived in a world like everyone says. You know, in the chat room, some people are saying, you know, uh, hockey in July is gonna be weird. Yeah, it is. But you know what? Is it any weirder? It's better
3: than, than no hockey?
2: Yeah. Any weirder than what you do now when you got to get you know a sandwich or whatever? Right. You know what I mean, it's like I mean, it's like it's just we're in that. That's where we are right now. So like the things that you know the luxuries of being able to say you know that we're not gonna have luxury taxes. Or, or you know, or exemption players or franchise players. When, when some teams can pay that money, you know it, that we've been we've been keeping them from paying that money, right? That we've been keeping right. Toronto and Philadelphia from paying extra, right. the Rangers from paying extra, um, yeah, as a way of like trying to prop the other teams up. Um, and I think that it's kind of, I think it's kind of foolhearted in some ways because the- right because you, I'm not, I'm not going to accuse any team of this, act but I know what you're getting at. You yeah. could
3: be a team that. Takes advantage of that. Oh, for sure.
0: For and sure. we know teams did when it first came out. For but sure. at, but at least there's a benefit to the smaller market. I mean, remember back in the day when Bobby Holik was getting nine million dollars from the Rangers and Matt Sundin, and uh, you know before and Matt Sundin, and a number of Leaf players were getting over overpaid um, before before the uh, the salary cap. You know. Was there a great level of success for those teams that spent $100 million or whatever it was as opposed to teams that were budget teams? No. The the Rangers missed the playoffs more than they made it. The Leafs didn't have
2: I know, and and the Flyers never won any Stanley Cups when they were spending all that money. No, but I'll
0: tell you what it would do. What it would
2: do
3: is force a team like Carolina, who does have a billionaire owner, to actually spend more if they want to win because they can spend more. They're capable of doing it. They just don't.
0: Yeah, but then, but and this won't happen in the NHL because the the amount of money that they'll be getting will not be sufficient for them to actually turn a profit, uh, you know, completely. But like in the in Major League Baseball, you see teams like Kansas City or Pittsburgh that are now in forever rebuilds because they're they're making a profit based on what they're getting from the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox and they really don't have to go out and try to be able to make a profit because they're making a profit already not trying
2: right that changes though because of the fact that you know that baseball has such a big television contract and hockey does right exactly right. they couldn't that hockey this money's not going to be enough to keep these t- these places in business there's going to be it's not going to be like you know they're making an, uh, there's not enough money without they still have to do well enough to sell tickets basically the NHL's still going to have to You still have to put a team on the field to sell, or ice to sell tickets, you know?
0: What this this tells you right now is more than than ever the importance of the next, not just the next CBA, but the next television agreement between whoever, NBC, ESPN, whatever, and the NHL because – Now you're facing, even if they play games, about a $500 million shortfall this year. They are going to need to hit a grand slam home run from their new television contract because right now the financial uh, stability of the league is, and I'm not saying it's in trouble, but they need to hit a home run, and that's going to be really important for them.
2: Well, I was talking to somebody the other day at at the league, and they were saying that you know what you you could really expect. You know the NHL is this other app um, where you can sort of, predict things that are going to happen in the middle of games and stuff like that. As, as things are happening, you can not gamble, but gamble on like little things like um, like face offs or power play like that. Um, there's, if, if we have a, if we if we live in a world again, where there's not uh, a lot of people actually on the um, we live in a world where there's not a lot of people at the games, uh, this kind of stuff is going to become way, way bigger. Like, you yeah. know, concept of like, okay, I'm going to gamble. I'm going to bet, you know, on any shells app or whatever. That you know the Leafs are going to score a shorthanded goal here. The odds of that are what twenty-five to one or something like that. Or put a dollar in that kind of thing. That's what you're going to see. Um, You know, and it's stuff we talked about years and years and years ago. And the league is going to the league is going
0: to get a part of it because and th- this factors into you know the analytics that they're doing with in terms of player tracking. They can yeah, track. all the tracking.
2: All the tracking is the tracking is no make no mistake about it. It's it's it, they're saying it's about you know um that we want to you know making the teams be able to practice better it's it's about gambling it's it's always been about gambling and that's the reality of it and that's fine it does help everybody else as well but there's no question it's setting us up for this um and i think that that's fine i don't have a problem with that because no and you know what i don't, I don't- money to go to see tickets why not you know get involved a little bit more in the game as it goes you know in in some way with um, little gambles here little gambles there
0: there seemed to be a little bit of pushback from the players before all this happened about player tracking because maybe they didn't see the benefit for them. Now I think they will see the benefit because if it means more income coming into the league, you know, I think it's one team in the NHL, New Jersey, had a fan duel Or whatever set up in the arena because it was legal in New Jersey. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that if we see in the immediate future, not just them set up in arenas, but the the NHL getting a piece of the action to be able to sign up to say, "Okay, who's going to score the first goal?" I get eight to one on Austin Matthews.
2: Boom. Yeah, right, right. There, yeah, and that's it, and that's that, and it's fun. It's going to be fun for people to get involved with. It's like anybody who's ever done the Super Bowl pools or whatever, you know, when you're a Super Bowl house and the boxes and things like that this is what it's going to be like. Um, Thomas has a question in here, but he asked before this, um, how will the ratings be in the summer months when people are out more? Um, that, well, I, I get that I get that fear. I really do. Because, um, you know, in the summer, like I'm, you know, at the shore, we're usually at the beach, but uh, I think that it's sort of like, if we're doing it like this, people aren't going to be out at all. You know, like it's, I don't think, first of all, I think the ratings are going to be great because people aren't, aren't going to be out. I don't think in the summer, in the summer, I think people are going to still be home
0: lot. i think that the absence of games for two three months is going to build up a hunger that <laughs> you know that people are not people are not going to care that it's hot outside it's they're going to want to watch games especially for their own teams and so even if you're not
2: know, watching it live There's still like you're still people are going to be watching them. You know they're going to be yeah. that's see that's where I disagree. I think it's got to be live. I mean the the one thing is like you want to watch it live, but I'm I'm thinking people who aren't going to see it live, they're still going to still be a huge amount of people watching it streaming later or whatever when they if they are doing something, right? Right? Uh, I
0: mean I'm I'm skeptical. I mean because I I don't find any way that that is going to be kept secret. Like in terms of like – I mean I only want to watch a game that I can watch while it's happening. It's like I'll go back and check the highlights of a game that I didn't see because I'm interested in the result and see what happened. But I don't want to watch the entire game. And the whole point of this is watching the entire game and getting revenue from the ads that are on the game. So that's why I'm like – you know, the one thing that might be a problem is if the plan right now is to play games – what they're saying is like at one at four 30 at eight o'clock, Yeah. then you're going to probably have the teams that are from smaller markets playing in those one o'clock games because yeah. you know, they're going to want the Toronto's or the New York's or whoever playing prime time games because they can get the most revenue out of those. Yeah. Games.
2: You're going to have that. And can you imagine how much fun that'll be for everybody? I mean, people will love it. I mean, people, people will be completely completely love it. It'll be absolutely a blast Have three games a day, that kind of stuff. Um, for people who are working from home, you know, or, or, you know, you? it'll help, it'll help get through things. I think that's what it's about. So um, I did before we go, I did um, I did travel back in my alternate reality to find out the ends of the first round, Mike. And I'm I'm sad that Russ isn't here right now for this, but um,
0: well, we're we're fully expecting the Leafs to have lost in seven games after being up three nothing. So well, let's
2: let's get to that, shall we? Um, okay, so here we go. Um, we'll start in the Western Conference. Okay, where um, if you remember, Vegas had beaten Nashville. Um, the other series that was going on was Edmonton, 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 Vancouver. And that ended in six. So the, so we, so we have, um, Edmonton Vegas in the second round. That's one of the matchups. Okay. Um, also, um, so also out there, St. Louis, um, despite really struggling with Calgary, won that series in seven games, um, Dallas and Colorado. Um, Dallas won that one in six games, which was really surprising. Colorado, very disappointing playoff appearance for, so, uh, the so Dallas and St. Louis in the second round. So those are the two matchups over there. Um, then over here, uh, the Caps had member had swept the Islanders. Or they had swept they had swept Carolina. Sorry, they had swept Carolina. Uh, the Flyers were up three games to two in the Penguin series and did end up winning that series in six. So we have the Flyers in Washington. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: Okay. It's true. It happened. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but the crazy thing about that series all the fly the last two flyers wins come on the come on the heels of alex Lyon playing unbelievable <laughs> um, because you know if you remember brian elliott was uh got shelled a couple times don't oh, know, brian elliott got hurt uh and then you know and then we had uh carter hart playing well but not playing too well and he ended up getting they said they said he was hurt because they think he might be hurt so they were giving alex Lyon, and alex Lyon was amazing against the penguins and alex the lion is uh is is just takes the and then so the we have the flyers and capitals second round over there And finally, um, the Bruins had beaten the Islanders in six games, as we checked. So the Bruins were were waiting around. And the Leafs were up three games to two on Tampa.
0: They were up three games to nothing.
2: They were up three games to nothing. Tampa did indeed send that to game seven. But in game seven, Toronto prevails. Um, Amazingly enough, uh, Toronto comes up with a win. Austin Matthews comes off crutches and walks onto the ice. Well, Austin Matthews yeah did did play in that game was was but people are wondering people are questioning if he's healthy because he hasn't he's got like two points in the whole series he's not 100 percent after that for, hit from a headman still but so we have a second round matchup of Toronto and Boston gee where have we seen that one before <laughs> and so we'll have fun following that series um, and uh, so that's where we are right now so again Flyers Caps Bruins Leafs Vegas Edmonton St Louis Dallas. There's your those your four second round matchups. The series start tonight. I will be back and giving you some information as I get it from the from the area. Yeah, so.
0: Okay. Uh, tomorrow we will have uh Matt Kelman on. Uh he Boston area reporter. We'll talk about the Bruins and some other stuff in the NHL.
2: So that'll yep. have another guest for the first half of the show. For sure. That would be great. And um so uh until then, uh stay safe. Remember, without the buzz, it is just hockey. We will talk to you tomorrow with Matt.